On today's episode, we talked about disenfranchised grief. We also discussed on maybe some things not to say to people that are grieving and how we can prevent disenfranchised grief from happening. The best we can. As best as we can. Um, I would also like to make it very known that we really would love your likes and your comments. Reviews. And your reviews. Stars. So please, throw a thumbs up and give us a five star. Let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk about grief and mourning. Is it argumental or existential? What's it mean to me? Let's talk about death. Hi, I'm Benny Capal, and I'm a funeral professional. And I'm Nicholas Capal, a psychologist. Hey, Nick, let's talk about death. Hi, and welcome back to Let's Talk About Death. Let's talk about disenfranchised grief, Nick. It's a good term. It's a good topic to talk about. So, Nick, why don't you delve into the psychology behind disenfranchised grief before I get into what I see in my uh, profession? So, disenfranchised grief comes from a doctor uh, whose name is Ken Doka, Dr. Doka. He was actually on my committee for dissertation. Um, but this whole theory is this idea of um, grief that is not allowed, nor is it a, um, does it it's personal but it's also this idea that grief can be for the griever for the bereaved not being able to grieve properly so this comes with a lot of multi multitudes of variables like for example let's say um that the person that died was having an affair okay yeah that affair person sometimes i would say most of the time is not allowed to properly grieve meaning they might not be accepted at the funeral home um the wife might not know this relationship has happened mm -hmm. um and therefore that person feels this um pit in their stomach where i want to grieve for this person but yet i don't know if it's acceptable to grieve for this person because you're, you're talking about the mistress yes in this in this in this scenario um as in because Obviously, I'm not the wife, right? I'm not the quote-unquote wife or the family, the main family. I'm this almost like uh, disgrace. Taint, well, this tainted like, person yeah, or yeah. this tainted version of this person, right? That they probably don't want to talk about at the funeral, right? Or they don't, or they may nobody may not even know. Correct. So, uh, how do they? Uh, I guess what 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 can they do? So, because they, they're going to grieve. Like, everybody grieves, so that's not going to change the fact. So it's just that situation that they can't comfortably grieve in a normal stance because of the situation? Well, I think it's the it lengthens the bereavement process. <laughs> if you're not able to grieve, if you're not allowed to get closure, go to the funeral, um, pay your last respects, then I think it just lengthens what is automatically a, a tough time for people when they lose someone they loved. But now we're talking about this idea that they have to do this all behind closed doors. Right, right. Well, you could even look at it the opposite way, too. It could be the main wife has disenfranchised grief, too, because maybe people know about the affair. And now she can't has to deal with that first before she can actually deal with her own grief of her husband. And I think for, for some people, this whole um, you know, other relationship going on with this person, when it comes up at the funeral... Then we have all different dynamics going on. Right, right. You know, how could, you know, the kids saying, how could they do this to, you know, how could he do this to mom and dad? So now they're angry, you know. So I, 
you know, this is just one example. Another example would be maybe the, someone you worked with, right? right? And you just are, oh, you just were really close to them. You worked with them for 15, 20 years and gotten really close to them, gotten to know them. Um, and there's obviously an emotional attachment there. And then you lose them, right? And some of these people are like, well, you know, especially with the, you know, you think about the COVID, the 20 people, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a person that's seen this, you know, person every day, all day, 40 hours a week, more years, than yeah. some of their kids have seen them. Right. You know, so, and and then this idea that, well, you know, you're just a coworker. You're not family. You're not relation. Right. You can get over this. This is not important right. to you as it is to us because we're the family. Like this grief is more important to us. I Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or another one that I come across a lot is suicide. Mm-hmm. So like the family can't grieve because they're getting told by some people, well, you know, he, they're not going to heaven or you realize like they were very selfish right. um, or, well, you know, um, uh, this is just something you need to get over quick. Or, right. You know, um, that's and, and I think the one thing we want to talk about with disenfranchised grief is what kind of not to say. Because, like, there are trigger words that can um, start the disenfranchised grief scenario, such as, like, even if it's a 90-year-old grandma, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Obviously, th- when they get to after about 80, it's going to happen. We all know as humans that, okay, the time is starting to run low. But at the same time, to you, that 90-year-old grandma might mean as much to somebody else as their kid or their their, their spouse. And so you'll hear a lot of people say, well, you know, you should it's it's better for her to be gone because she's not in pain anymore or she was just your grandma she was 90 years old like right. what's the, what's the big deal like that kind of conversation or trigger words can really cause that person to go into disenfranchised grief well not even that i think the system is flawed too because if you think about hospitals only family are allowed to see people that are dying oh absolutely right? so then you think of the grandkids or you even think of like i said the, neighbors you know, the co-worker whatever yeah you know they're not allowed to see they're not allowed to say the goodbye. bridge players you know they're they're a tight niche group that's oof, that's a niche you know it's all about the you care <laughs> or um or occupation you only have three days off right and obviously you will be fine after three days of grieving mm-hmm. you know you just lost your spouse but you know and then some of these you got to be back because by of that lose their job so now it's a double loss right or they go into they go into work and they're really not at work right and can you really expect them to be at work? No. I mean, this is I mean, this is where it's all coming down to. And I think that's a big problem um, to begin with is we don't take as much time as we need for grief. Oh, I think I, I think it's uh, it's even deeper than that. I think we allow physical uh, reasons to to not be able to come to work. You know, if you're, you're sick, um, you're throwing up, obviously, they don't want you to come into work. Right. But what about the mental health stuff? Right. You know, and, and grief is a grief bereavement is a huge part of the mental health system because the problem is, is again, you cut off your leg. Everybody's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, what can we do? How can we help you? Can we give you a peg? But you have a day that you can't get out of bed because you're crying the whole day. Most people are like, OK, yeah, come yeah. on. Yeah. You know, especially the idea Man of pulling or... yourself up, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, this idea that mental health doesn't exist. Right. And to use it for, you know, to, to, to claim a mental health day, I think people still frown upon that. And that's sad because, as we, as we know, with research and all that, mental health is even more um, detrimental to, to you, your longevity, 
than your actual physical health in a lot of in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You know, stress, all that stuff leads to heart. You can you can you can heal a lot of like broken bones, but you can't you can't heal a broken heart. Actually, I, I, I'm going to go against that. I think you can heal a broken heart. I think that's why I'm. But you, you can, but I mean, it's it's not you. It's <laughs> it's not it's as not, easily well. It's done. not easily diagnosed, right? You can't yeah. take an X-ray of someone and say, "Oh, they you know they have a broken heart." They sure do. But no, I, I I get that, and that's what's I guess that's really tough. And now we we add in like you were saying, we add in COVID, obviously, mm-hmm. which is not helping disenfranchise grief whatsoever, or not helping anything with grieving or death in general. But yeah, th- that is, and th- these are just a couple examples. If if you are thinking about any other examples, or maybe you've been disenfranchised with your grief, we'd like to hear about it. Comment below, message us. You can get us at uh, let's talk about death pod at gmail or feel free to DM us any any of your thoughts on this. Disenfranchised grief is such a hard thing to place. It's even hard to really talk about because yep. you got to like wrap your head around the fact that um, your grief isn't worthy enough or good enough well there's rules right there's there's stigmatisms there is this idea that you know like i said you're a co-worker you shouldn't be grieving the way that the family is that's the idea right the Mm -hmm. family the close people should be grieving not right right so and then you brought up suicide suicide is such a deep one to talk about because you're you're also there's rules to that too oh absolutely right someone committed suicide a lot of people don't think they have the right to be grieved Right, right, because it's you know, such a selfish Because it was selfish, selfish they, they took their life, and um, <sighs> unfortunately, the, the survivors are, are really messed up in a way. Absolutely, that. and they're and and they and they will be. And like you said, with grief, the problem with grief is it comes in waves, it goes in waves. Everybody grieves so differently that there is a lot of disenfranchised grief, and there's a lot of people out there that are undiagnosed. Yeah. So in the in the clinical side, what do you say to somebody who's dealing with disenfranchised grief, Nick? That at least I'm here for you. You know, out of anybody else, maybe maybe you don't have someone you can feel comfortable talking about with this. And that's why I implore all you listeners out there, if any sort of grief, disenfranchised or not, is is reckoning your life, is is making it hard, um, challenging, and you've been struggling with this for so so long, and it doesn't seem like it's nothing's really helping. I really implore you to, to to do your research and look for a good therapist. There, there's people out there that will talk to you. Not to mention, I would say most funeral directors would probably sit with you. Oh, absolutely. And there's groups. There's obviously group conversations. If you don't want to specifically talk to a specific, you know, funeral director or psychologist, there are other people dealing with disenfranchised grief, and I'm sure you can find uh, many outlets to not only or um, you can find some. Uh, some sort of script or something that'll help you kind of go through that process. Nick, let me let me let me ask you a little uh, a strange question here because I don't know if there really is an answer to this, but maybe you can clarify something. How would somebody even know they're going through disenfranchised grief? I think it I think it comes deeper to the the point that I just don't. If you ever catch yourself saying, "I just don't feel comfortable talking about this death with anybody," I I would say that's disenfranchised grief. If you're living with it and not able to talk about it, and it just seems like no matter who you talk to, they're all just blowing it off, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or uh, avoiding talking to you about it. Right. So if right. you start talking about it and they immediately switch subjects, I think that's a good indicator that obviously they're not empathizing. Um, and again, it, it, some people just do not like talking about death, period. Right. 
It might not be a disenfranchised grief. You just might come across someone that that's just not how they cope. They don't talk about it. They bury it. They would feel very awkward in this room right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the same people that hold their breath when they drive past the cemetery, right? It's this whole idea that if I talk about it, I'm going to catch it. Right. So therefore, we avoid it. Right. Right. Well, and can we also go into the fact that, you know, when the the meals stop getting delivered and people stop calling or writing right after after a loss, can you go through disenfranchised grief down the line? Yeah, I think a a normal, you you know, a wife losing their spouse, you know, of 30 years and then after about six months, people want her to move on. Right. That's disenfranchised grief, right? There's not a place that they're allowing her to grieve. Okay. She's not even allowed to grieve at her home with her family. Right. Because again, some of the family members might might have gone through the grief, you know, might have you know, did the right steps or it just was that for them. Like they just weren't that attached to that person. Well, Nick, and here's can you give any advice to somebody who's dealing with somebody who is going through still grief and they want to help them uh, start getting maybe a couple things in order, right? Maybe they just have given up, right? And maybe as, as, as a loved one or as a friend, is there anything that you can do to help somebody um, that's dealing with disenfranchised grief? I think, th- I think the biggest thing that people, if they really want to help someone, is just going, starting the conversation so that the person knows they're allowed to talk about him or her and just listen. Okay. I think for most people, they just want to be heard, mm-hmm. you know? Instead of brushed off or, okay, this is getting uncomfortable. Like, let's move on. You know, like, yeah, it's about that time. Uh, you know, oh, we're my dog needs the, to get fed again. We're getting out today. the scrapbook of dad again. Here oh, we go. Here we you go. know, here we go. But, I, but, but for them, that's, that's all they're thinking about, anyways. So let's put a physicality to it. Let's bring out pictures. Let's talk about that. And I, and I know that it, it can be challenging for some people to sit and just listen. But I would implore you, if you really want to help someone going through grief, it's not actually about, I think, more importantly, not what you say. It's just being there. Right. Being present in that. And they, uh, them knowing that you're there. And them knowing that, okay, at least I have one person I can talk about this with and not feel like I'm rushed or um, you know, have to change the subject or have to act like this person. You know, I think for a lot of people that are dealing with grief, it's this idea that they don't want to let go. Right. They right. don't want to lose this person. Right. So the more and more I talk about them, the more and more I, you know, I, I can bring him in t- or her into the mold. Yeah. And, and I, I wonder, too, if they feel like, you know, when they're going through disenfranchised grief, they realize that, like, or they think, and I think this is the problem, too, as humans, is I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I'm still going through grief or I'm, I'm embarrassed Right. That I keep I can't get past this point or I'm I'm embarrassed that I can't haven't been able to get out of bed the last two days, right? Right. And uh if they had that opportunity to know that they're not alone, right. you know, and it's okay. If you need to stay in bed that day, you need to stay in bed that day. That's what you Mental need. Health Day. It's super important. Absolutely. If you need to No, if you can't get out of bed for a week, I again implore you to reach out for help. There is help. If you can't find anybody, family nor friend that was will that would be willing to sit with you and talk if you need to. There's a lot of people out there, therapists, uh, priests, ministers. I know all of them would be, and funeral directors that all would be willing to sit with you. Absolutely, you know. So Nick, for the disenfranchised person, the people who are talking to them, 
you know, that are possibly disenfranchisers. The disen the disenfranchisees. No, the Z's would be the ones <laughs> the getting it. Dealing. The disenfranchisers. Um, the are ones the one that, that are, are, are talking to and maybe not even knowing that they're that their friend, their loved one is. Well, I think. Let me stop you right there. I think most of the people don't mean to disenfranchise someone's grief. I, I think it's just like I said. There is some people out there that that's how they cope. Is it doesn't exist? Therefore, let's move on. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you work. However, when you're dealing with someone who really wants to talk and wants to open up about it, and you come across, let's say nine people in a row that are basically like, okay, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, that was two years ago. Yeah, or, or yeah, but come on, move on. Or they're in a better know. place. They would or want they, you they to... had cancer for five years. You should have been ready for they're this. They're 94 years old. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the bigger thing is, is again, I, I, I think that this is a, a systematic issue with how we as a community deal with each other, right? It's very individualized and not community-based anymore. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, so please go back and listen to these episodes. But what I'm saying here is, is that I think the problem is, is that since we've moved away from community, is that, again, we have separated into individuals, which we're not allowing people. We need to hug every once in a while. We need to, to hold hands with people. Like, we do this with kids, and it's not weird to hug them when they're scared or sad right, or right. hold their hand when they've had a bad dream. But we're not allowed to do that with adults. It's, it, Why? It, it, it's, it, Why? It's, I don't know. It's an you know, interesting. It's an inter- interesting. No, again, dilemma. there is some over huggers out there, this and if you are a over hugger, we love you. But for some people, that's uncomfortable. And there's you know? some creepy huggers out there. Yeah. There's some people that kiss on the lips. You know, for them, it's not weird at all. For a lot of us, that is weird. Um, but again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And again, that's I think that's a community based thing, right? Right. No, the, absolutely. The human connection. So the if, physicality. So can I say that this way? If the next time you come across somebody that's dealing with death or loss or grief. And you might not know this, maybe, too. You might not know that they're dealing with it. Maybe really pay attention to what you're saying or what they're saying, right? That's the that's the big... I think the biggest quote I would say, shut up and listen. Shut up and dance. Yeah, you know, bam, I really bam, think bam, that bam, sometimes, bam. more importantly, it's not what you say. It's just being there. Being there. Being there, being present, and allowing that person to know that they are being heard. What's something not like? What are a couple things maybe not to say that people say all the time that would get over it? Um, uh, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm trying to think of all the. You've probably heard more than I have. Yeah, I hear it all the time. Um, She was old. Um, She was sick. She's uh, in a better place. That's another thing. Yeah, she would want you to move on. Yeah. Um, Where it gets adds more guilt. Not only am I not moving on, but now they're adding this person would probably want me to move on. So now I'm I'm embarrassment and and ashamed to them. And let me throw this out here for the people that say she's in a better place or he's in a better place. If you're talking to someone who's non-religious, that's right. that, that's not helping them. Not at all. Not or all. someone that is religious and just really angry that this person was taken away from them. And they're dealing with their own religious, you know, whether I believe or not at that point, And you make that comment, it doesn't help. I, I guess it really comes down to just, just be, like you said, just be there, be present, let them say how they're feeling and, and, and let them feel the way they, they need to feel. Right. And, and again, it's, it's sometimes just holding the hand and listening, just holding hand, listening and just being there. It, it's, it's such a beautiful thing for people. All right, Nick. It's a healing process. 
Thank you, Nick, for that. Uh, I think we got some Q&As. Q&A, yeah, gotta get me that Q&A. Q&A's. Q&A, Q&A, everyone loves that Q&A. Do you want to read it or do you want I'll me do to the read fir- it? I'll do the first you one. Sure? I'll read the first one. You can answer it and then you can flip-flop. Emotion, emotions for grieving. I've always heard people say everyone's everyone grieves differently, but why is that? Why do some people get more affected with grief than others? I think it's the same question. Why do some people laugh when they're hurt? You know, I think we all have different ways of, of dealing with emotions. Now, whether this is something that comes up when you're a kid and this is how you learned how to excuse me, <clears throat> you learned how to grieve. Um, but I also think it's also there's there's you know, we, we think about as psychologists, we always get that question. Is it genetics or is it environmental? Right. Is it A or B? My answer to that is I think it's both. However, I do think grief is very learned, mm-hmm. meaning you watch how your mom and dad grieve. So, and I think another thing is if, you know, you go to a funeral home, I think guys are watching how guys react. Mm-hmm. Women are looking at how do women react. And the problem is, is that they might have learned in a really quick instance, one funeral that, oh, you you know, you can't cry. Someone says that, right? Or, Oh, you know, she was, she, she was able to hold her emotions in, you know, I'm very proud of her. Right. So now you're saying that if she let them out, she's going to be proud. Right. Right. So a kid is listening to that stuff and they're picking up on everything you say. Right. And they're internalizing it. So now in their internal conversation, when they go to funeral homes, they remember that and they bring it back up like, oh, I can't cry. I can't. So back to this question, though, I kind of got off base there. But the question is, why are people, why do they grieve differently? It's the same way of, um, you know, why do people drive differently? You know, you know, we all learn that it's got to be six and nine. Right. I think that's that's the way six and nine. You know, well, I don't even remember. But what I'm saying to you is, is that's how we all learned. That's how we were all supposed to drive. Right. But does anybody drive that way? No. Maybe like maybe. No, there's probably a percentage. Right. There's probably a percentage. And sometimes I probably drive there, not drive that way, not thinking about it. But for the most part, I might have one hand or, you know, I just think Call it cliche, human, but I, I get closer to the steering wheel as I get older. I just think as human beings, we are all so different. We are mm-hmm. all we see the world so differently. We act re- and react so differently. Some people get, get, can get punched in the face and not get angry. Yeah, absolutely. And just think it's not worth it and walk away. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make them bad. doesn't make them good. It just, that's how we react. Absolutely. Well, that, that, that would be my answer, too, is just everybody's different. And everybody, just like everything else, some people uh, will jump over a, a thing for a burger that was uh, misdone, you know, at Burger King. Whereas another person would be like, oh, no big deal. I'll eat it. You know, it's just, it's the same emotional thing. And it, absolutely. Some of it is learned. Others just in their genetics. And I also believe that we as human beings are narcissistic in that we don't, we want people to feel and react the same way we do because then it's comfortable. I know that. Mm-hmm. So when you see someone who doesn't act this the way that you do, it throws you for a loop. Right. What's wrong with me? Or what's wrong, wrong with, with them? them. <laughs> There's right. the psychology right there. There you go. <laughs> All right, Nick, you want to read the second one? Good books on death. Lately, with all that has been going on, I have been interested in exploring more about death. I'm so glad I found this podcast. I'd like to know, what are your favorite books on death and grieving? 
Wow. Did you and grieving. Squeaky, squeaky. Yeah, frog in my throat there. And grieving. Let uh, me just, let me just, I'm so glad I found this podcast. I'd like to know, what are your favorite books on death and grieving? Nick, I think your second time was a lot better. Thank uh, you. Second so time go, going through it, I, I, I don't know the titles and I, I apologize. So if I uh, miss, if any of these uh, authors are out there, uh, I apologize. Um, I'm, I'm a big, I'll be honest, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Stephen King fan. So going on top of it, I love Stephen King. It, some of it has to deal with death, some of it doesn't. But obviously every book revolves around death because it's a horror book. But I, honestly, books about death. Um, uh, Caleb Wilde wrote a book. And he is, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, a fourth-generation funeral director on both sides. His mom comes from a generation of funeral directors, and his dad comes from a generation of funeral directors. And they actually, he grew up just like we did, Nick, uh, living and going through the funeral home, but he had two to go through, which is a very interesting dilemma. And he goes through the day in, day out of uh, being a funeral director, uh, being expected to be a funeral director, and the stress and anxiety and the panic attacks and everything. And he, he's very honest about how he felt and uh, maybe feeling like a failure at times as a funeral director. Um, and I, I, I really, f- I, I could feel him in that book. Like I, I understood what that meant. And, and he goes through that old stigma of you didn't show your humanity as a funeral director in the old days. And now it's like our generation is like, you know what? People should know that. You know, we mess up. Oh, my gosh, we may say a bad word, he would do, <laughs> you know, or we might um, we might go down to a local bar and have a drink or two. Caitlin Daughtry wrote mm-hmm. three books, one on uh, one on cremation, one on just she goes around the world and and tells the different experiences, because right. as many of you don't know this in other countries they do things completely different Absolutely. maybe one country is all cremation maybe another uh, country they they literally embalm the body and you can have the body for a long time you can go and into some, hotels some, with the body some countries don't embalm Absolutely. They do papyrs and and green burials and all this and and it's really neat and unique because she goes into you know 10 or 12 different mm-hmm. places and experiences this is a really good book and Caitlin if you're listening to this I, get, I tip your hat it's a very good book um, book to, books but in general I really like the one where you travel around and go through so that was a really cool one because I think people don't know that oh you there's other places that do other things you know right. it's not like everybody does one day visitation one day funeral and we bury you know Etc. Etc. If you've read a good book out in the uh, cyberspace, please let us know if there's a good one that we could read. So one book that I do really enjoy, um, I would say it's it's more psychology based, but I do think it has a lot of good points for finding meaning through grief and loss. Is uh, a book by Viktor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, it actually is about a Holocaust survivor and him talking about how he found. I think it's Holocaust. Don't quote me on that. It might have been Dark Hour. Uh, but anyways, the book is about how he found meaning in the uh, concentration camps and how that kept him alive. Like they made meaning out of a terrible situation. There was, a, there was another book or somebody said something like they were an engineer or they were an electrician and they would make things so they would they would not work after so long. Yeah. So they, they were needed. That was actually a, that was actually a story. I don't know if it's actually in a book. It probably is. But that was a story when I went over to, um, I did a study abroad and I went over and visited the killing fields. Mm. And how one of the um, survivors survived was that he was the only electrician that they knew. 
So it would, what he would do was he would purposely put the wrong fuses in certain places so that they kept needing it. Mm-hmm. But he had to be really careful how he did it because if all the fuses went out, then they, they would wouldn't know. believe that he knew what he was doing. So, Well, I think that, that wraps it up, Nick. Sure does. But if you have any more books or have any thoughts on disenfranchised grief, please get at us. Uh, let's talk about death pod at gmail.com. Absolutely. All right, Nick, tell next time. You know, time. if you've been listening to a couple of these episodes and you're really digging this, please, it up. please leave us a review. like to know what your thoughts are. Maybe it's we need more Nick or we would like a little less of Ben. The, you more, know, just the l- more death puns, the better. Yeah. Just really yeah. delve into the death Because we're dying to read these. <laughs> because if you're not talking about death, you are not living. You are not living, Nick.